distinguish, and if we go wrong with them, will lead us into just as sorry a plight as a mistaken opinion concerning pleasure. When men burn their fingers through following after pleasure, they find out their mistake, and get to see where they have gone wrong more easily than when they have burnt them through following after a fancied duty or a fancied idea concerning right virtue. The devil, in fact, when he dresses himself in angels' clothes, can only be detected by experts of exceptional skill. And so often does he adopt this disguise that it is hardly safe to be seen talking to an angel at all, and prudent people will follow after pleasure as a more homely but more respectable and on the whole much more trustworthy guide. Returning to Mr. Pontifex, over and above his having lived long and prosperously, he left numerous offspring, to all of whom he communicated not only his physical and mental characteristics, with no more than the usual amount of modification, but also no small share of characteristics which are less easily transmitted, I mean his pecuniary characteristics. It may be said that he acquired these by sitting still and letting money run, as it were, right up against him. But against how many does not money run who do not take it when it does? Or who, even if they hold it for a little while, cannot so incorporate it with themselves that it shall descend through them to their offspring? Mr. Pontifex did this. He kept what he may be said to have made, and money is like a reputation for ability, more easily made than kept. Take him, then, for all in all I am not inclined to be so severe upon him as my father was. Judge him according to any very lofty standard, and he is nowhere. Judge him according to a fair average standard, and there is not much fault to be found with him. I have said what I have said in the foregoing chapter once for all, and shall not break my thread to repeat it. It should go without saying, in modification of the verdict, which the reader may be inclined to pass too hastily, not only upon Mr. George Pontifex, but also upon Theobald and Christina. And now I will continue my story. CHAPTER Twenty: The birth of his son opened Theobald's eyes to a good deal which he had but faintly realized hitherto. He had had no idea how great a nuisance a baby was. Babies come into the world so suddenly at the end, and upset everything so terribly when they do come. Why cannot they steal in upon us with less of a shock to the domestic system? His wife, too, did not recover rapidly from her confinement. She remained an invalid for months. Here was another nuisance, and an expensive one which interfered with the amount which Theopold liked to put by out of his income against, as he said, a rainy day, or to make provision for his family, if he should have one. Now he was getting a family, so that it became all the more necessary to put money by, and here was the baby hindering him. Theorists may say what they like about a man's children being a continuation of his own identity, but it will generally be found that those who talk in this way have no children of their own. Practical family men know better. 
About twelve months after the birth of Ernest, there came a second, also a boy, who was christened Joseph, and in less than twelve months afterwards, a girl, to whom was given the name of Charlotte. A few months before this girl was born, Christina paid a visit to the John Pontifexes in London, and, knowing her condition, passed a good deal of time at the Royal Academy exhibition, looking at the types of female beauty portrayed by the academicians, for she had made up her mind that the child this time was to be a girl. Alethea warned her not to do this, but she persisted, and certainly the child turned out plain but whether the pictures caused this or no, I cannot say. Theobald had never liked children. He had always got away from them as soon as he could, and so had they from him. Oh, why was he inclined to ask himself, could not children be born into the world, grown up, if Christina could have given birth to a few full-grown clergymen in pre-sorders, of moderate views but inclining rather to evangelicalism, with comfortable livings and in all respects facsimiles of Theobald himself. Why, there might have been more sense in it, or if people could buy ready-made children at a shop of whatever age and sex they liked, instead of always having to make them at home, and to begin at the beginning with them. That might do better, but as it was, he did not like it. He felt as he had felt when he had been required to come and be married to Christina that he had been going on for a long time quite nicely, and would much rather continue things on their present footing. In the matter of getting married he had been obliged to pretend he liked it. But times were changed, and if he did not like a thing now, he could find a hundred unexceptionable ways of making his dislike apparent. It might have been better if Theobald in his younger days had kicked more against his father. The fact that he had not done so, encouraged him to expect the most implicit obedience from his own children. He could trust himself, he said, and so did Christina, to be more lenient than perhaps his father had been to himself. His danger, he said, and so again did Christina, would be rather in the direction of being too indulgent. He must be on his guard against this, for no duty could be more important than that of teaching a child to obey its parents in all things. He had read not long since of an eastern traveller, who, while exploring somewhere in the more remote parts of Arabia and Asia Minor, had come upon a remarkably hardy, sober, industrious little Christian community, all of them in the best of health, who had turned out to be the actual living descendants of Jonadab, the son of Rechab and two men in European costume, indeed, but speaking English with a broken accent, and by their color evidently oriental, had come begging to Battersby soon afterward, and represented themselves as belonging to this people. They had said they were collecting funds to promote the conversion of their fellow tribesmen to the English branch of the Christian religion. True, they turned out to be impostors for when he gave them a pound and Christina five shillings from her private purse, they went and got drunk with it in the next village but one to Battersby. Still, this did not invalidate the story of the eastern traveller. Then there were the Romans, whose greatness was probably due to the wholesome authority exercised by the head of a family over all its members. Some Romans had even killed their children, 
This was going too far, but then the Romans were not Christians, and knew no better. The practical outcome of the foregoing was a conviction in Theobald's mind, and if in his, then in Christina's, that it was their duty to begin training up their children in the way they should go, even from their earliest infancy. The first signs of self-will must be carefully looked for, and plucked up from the roots at once, before they had time to grow. Theobald picked up this numb serpent of a metaphor, and cherished it in his bosom. Before Ernest could well crawl, he was taught to kneel. Before he could well speak, he was taught to lisp the Lord's Prayer and the general confession. How was it possible that these things could be taught too early? If his attention flagged or his memory failed him, here was an ill weed which would grow apace, unless it were plucked out immediately, and the only way to pluck it out was to whip him, or shut him up in a cupboard, or dock him of some of the small pleasures of childhood. Before he was three years old, he could read, and after a fashion, write. Before he was four, he was learning Latin, and could do rule of three sums. As for the child himself, he was naturally of an even temper. He doted upon his nurse, on kittens and puppies, and on all things that would do him the kindness of allowing him to be fond of them. He was fond of his mother, too, but as regards his father, he had told me in later life he could remember no feeling but fear and shrinking. Christina did not remonstrate with Theobald concerning the severity of the tasks imposed upon the boy, nor yet as to the continual whippings that were found necessary at lesson times. Indeed, when during any absence of Theobald's the lessons were entrusted to her, she found to her sorrow that it was the only thing to do, and she did it no less effectually than Theobald himself. Nevertheless, she was fond of her boy, which Theobald never was, and it was long before she could destroy all affection for herself in the mind of her firstborn. But she persevered. End of chapter 20 Recording by Rhonda Fetterman